0: Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I'm your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. Join our mission and help change the conversation, because we are all stronger together. Good Dog is on a mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them through education and advocacy. The Good Dog Pod provides dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm being joined today by Chris Zink, and Chris is teamed up with Good Dog with the Avidog Zinc Ventures, and we're talking today about conditioning for our dogs. And I'm really excited. Chris just told me a new thing I hadn't heard of, which is her Fit to be Tied program for fitness for dogs and breeding programs. And I had heard of Fit for Life, which is the fitness for all dogs of all ages. So I'm very excited for Chris to share with us some of the projects that they have going, some of the information, and educational opportunities that are available. So welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. And I see your old dog in the background. Welcome to the old dog too. <laughs> yeah, that's a golden retriever back there. <laughs> it looks to be a happy golden retriever. Okay, so Chris, let's start with Fit for Life. Let's start with that particular program. And I really want to emphasize the fit to be tied, but let's start with Fit for Life so we have some ideas, some bases, what we're starting with.
1: You know, I've thought about this for a long, long time as a sports medicine veterinarian and rehabilitation veterinarian. You know, we see a lot of dogs, whether they are active performance dogs or everybody's beloved family member, and we see a lot of injuries. I see a lot of injuries, and a lot of times I'm thinking to myself, you know, what we know about humans is that being at a proper weight being properly physically fit, we know that that improves longevity in humans. And we think about this concept of health span, where we want ourselves to live a long time, but not just to live many years, but many healthy years. And so the same thing applies to dogs. We want them to have a long health span where they are going to be able to be active as a part of our lives for many, many years, rather than sort of going into old age and kind of fading away and becoming weak, et cetera, which we so often see. And as I started to work with people that have particularly active dogs, dogs that do a lot of retrieving or swimming or performance dogs, what I started to see was that a couple of things. Most people had really no idea that dogs need to be conditioned and fit and well-muscled just like we do to improve health
0: span. I mean, we might not actually
1: improve our own health span, but we would really love to improve our dog's health span, you know?
0: Well, you know, Chris, one of the things that I am frequently struck by, and I was struck by it most often when I was doing pet grooming a few years ago, is the lack of focus on our pets, our dogs, healthy weight. I mean, I understand I'm a little fluffy. But I think those extra pounds, and I'd like you to speak to this if you would, I think those extra pounds are more damaging to our dogs than they are even to us.
1: Well, certainly we know that added weight has a lot of negative effects. We read about it all of the time. Body fat is an endocrine tissue. Mm. It's affecting everything about our dogs' lives all of the time. The other thing is, of course, that it leads to an increased prevalence of arthritis and we know that the huge numbers of dogs have arthritis and then you end up with this vicious cycle where it affects their mobility then they gain more weight because they're less mobile and then etc their arthritis becomes worse so you get into this vicious cycle well actually in the fit for life program and the fit to be tied programs we have a new way for you to be able to assess your dog's weight it's kind of cool i want to hear about it yeah so you know here's the thing if you have a large dog weighing it is really difficult. You're going to pick the thing up. You're going to step on the scale. Then you got to get someone to read it. (laughs) And they're going to be making the subtraction, you know, and they're going to be thinking about how much you weigh. really don't want that. No, no, (laughs) no. And the other thing is that weight, body weight is a matter of fat plus organ size and plus musculary. We want to be able to separate out how strong a dog is, from how fat they are. We'd like to be able to know those two things separately. Okay. So ideally what we do is we actually take a little pinch of tissue on the side of the rib cage where there's nothing but skin, then a layer of fat, then the ribs. We take a little pinch of that and we monitor that every week or so. We just take that little pinch. We feel how thick it is. And actually that tells us about body fat. Whereas weight tells us about changes in muscle as well as changes in fat.
0: So now we're going to pinch an inch on our dogs. I mean, (laughs) hopefully not an inch, but (laughs) I just, that's immediately what came to mind was the old thing about if you can pinch an inch, right? Oh my goodness. Well, Well, yes, I think an inch on a dog would be a lot. So (laughs) I like that. And that's an easy monitoring system for people in their homes, for people who are breeders to just kind of track, for people who are raising puppies for the first time, who aren't really sure what the proper weight should be for their growing puppies.
1: Exactly. And we do see a lot of kind of chubby fat puppies that we really don't want that either. It sets them up for a lifetime of these kinds of problems.
0: And joint issues. I always think of the extra pounding on their joints. Right. Here's the thing. It's very
1: difficult for us to know how painful a dog is they hide it really really well especially for example if they have pain in both front limbs they're not going to necessarily look like they're limping because they can't it hurts equally right so that's a really important factor and what i've learned over time is that people think that for example they come home from work and they throw the ball a lot for their dog so they feel like the dog got a lot of exercise but did he really get the kind of exercise that he needs? Ideally, exercise would be very low impact. For example, lifting weight is a very low impact exercise. It would be able to be done anytime, cold weather, hot weather. So ideally, it would be done inside the house in air-conditioned comfort. Or heated. It would ideally not require very much effort on the part of the human. And so what we did was we set up this program so it would encompass all of those things. It would be really doable in a short amount of time non-impact targeted to the specific areas that the dog needs work on because every dog doesn't have the same body. Mm -hmm. And then we show by the use of exercise videos and lots of personal support and help how to get that done in just a few minutes a week.
0: So give us some ideas. Just give us a, for example, so what is one of the exercises that you can do with your dog that's part of the program for Fit for Life?
1: We have 32 exercise videos and what we do is we target them. They're going to be either in the category of front leg, core, or rear leg exercises. Okay. So let me give you a really fun one, actually. An exercise that helps with rear leg strength. Mm-hmm. And what we call it is we call it front feet perch. So basically you put the front legs elevated on a perch. It could be something the size of an upside down food bowl okay. for an average sized dog, for example. So the dog puts their feet on that perch. And then they use their rear feet to step sideways around in circles in one direction, then to the other direction at various speeds. And then we gradually make it a little bit harder and a little bit harder by doing things like gradually elevating how high the front legs are so that puts more weight onto the rear, having items that the dog has to step over like poles or a ladder where the dog's rear feet have to step over those obstacles. So they have to come up, not just shuffle. Exactly, exactly. They have to lift their foot up and place it over the obstacle. Or we might do it on changes of surface. Like for little puppies, we might do it on gravel and grass, mm-hmm. where they have to experience the feeling on their feet of stepping on a different surface, which is actually part of educating the neurological system of developing puppies, for example.
0: Yes. I have a litter of 13 wire hair pointers. We were just talking about three weeks old. They just got moved into their playpen. There's three different surfaces for them to walk on. That's really, really important. And I don't know
1: whether most people realize this, but actually there's an entire component of the nervous system that senses things like different sensations on the feet and then
0: sends those messages up to the brain It's part of their education. Yep. Okay. So that's very fun. And just to kind of do multitasking, you could turn that into a trick if you wanted to do a trick title for some dog. <laughs>
1: you could. You actually could, and lots of our people have. Although the real difference between a trick and exercise is it's a subtle difference, but you can do both at the same time. The key to exercise, though, is you always have to think about how you can make it just a little bit harder so that the dog goes into overload. In a trick, for example, the dog just does the thing. Right. In exercise, they do the thing, and then you make it a little bit
0: harder and a little bit harder Uh, and a little bit harder. But that's the main difference. So with dogs, and this is fascinating to me, I love this kind of stuff. I know what I do for my big dogs when I'm running them and getting them ready for a field trial, for example, is repetition. So when we lift weights, we're supposed to lift X amount of weight X number of times. Are we working on repetitions? How are we thinking about that with our dogs? This is a fantastic question.
1: This is really, really important. Okay, so if you were to go to a personal trainer, they'll give you repetitions. But what they're doing is they're observing you to see how difficult it is for you. And they're giving you a number of reps to do to get it so that it becomes quite difficult at the end of the number of reps. They're observing you for this. They are actually working you to overload, and they're only using the reps as a way to get to overload. So what we do in Fit for Life is we give you a number of reps, but we tell you what to observe in the dog to know that you're getting to overload. So let me give you an example from human strength training. Let's say you want to build your biceps. If you picked up a one-pound dumbbell, you could do 100 biceps curls, and you'd be really doing nothing, right? You'd never work to overload, and you'd be barely maintaining your strength. So if you picked up a 35-pound dumbbell, you probably couldn't even do one bicep curl. I know I couldn't. So (laughs) Maybe one. (laughs) Then I'm doing one rep, but I'm not getting any strength training either. I didn't even get one rep done. But if I picked up a 15-pound dumbbell, I could maybe do six or seven. And then on the seventh, I would get all kind of shaky, and I'd have to put it down. Now... I've worked to overload. So it wasn't actually the number of reps alone, but it was what number of reps gets you to overload. Right, And that's a key concept of strength training for humans and for dogs that we have to understand. So it's artificial to say I did X
0: number of reps. The real thing is I worked to overload. I love that. And can you, without giving away trade secrets, can you... (laughs) Can you give us an idea? So what are some of the signs that people are going to look for that says, okay, my dog has reached overload. My dog has reached the point that it's succeeded in exercising to the point that I needed to exercise. Well,
1: the main one is that they're going to lose their ability to do the exercise. So let's say you're doing a very simple exercise where you're just lifting your dog's front leg, one front leg. And he has to balance on his other three legs. And you're timing it. And one of the things that we do to test a dog's strength is we actually do that very simple exercise. We'd like to see that you get to 120 before the dog has to put the leg down and fidget so much you have to let go of it. Mm -hmm. Early on, the dog might only get to 20 seconds or 25 seconds. And he's shifting away from you and trying to get away and everything because he needs to put that leg down. So then we know that that's a sign of overload. He couldn't keep that leg up. And then sometimes we'll lift two legs up. We'll lift one front leg up and the diagonally opposite rear leg up. And then we wait to measure time to fidgeting, essentially. And that's when the dog is going in overload. Actually, when you do that particular exercise where you lift one front leg and a diagonally opposite rear leg, the dog will usually start to sink in the rear and they'll sit down because they can't support themselves anymore. Right. Fascinating. So overload looks a little bit different for each exercise, but it's basically a failure to be successful at the exercise.
0: Okay. That makes perfect sense. And so all of these things are very important for any dog. I think this is so important. And I think we miss making this connection too many times. Can you draw that connection for people who are not competing with their dogs? who are not doing anything with their dogs besides sitting on the couch and watching Netflix and eating popcorn. Why is it just as important for the dog to be fit as it is for you to be fit? They don't have to look good in yoga pants. (laughs) Like what is it that is important and why is it important to the dog and to your relationship with the dog and the dog's long-term health? That connection I think is frequently lost.
1: Okay, two main reasons come to mind. Number one, dogs that are weak are more likely to be injured. Injuries are expensive. Think about all of the dogs that have had cranial cruciate ligament surgery. You know, we're talking about something that's like four to seven, thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and months out of the dog's lifetime and relationship with you, although I guess your relationship can grow as you work together in rehab, but pain involved for the dog. So, dogs that have muscles that are weak are more susceptible to injuries and just injuries from doing regular things like playing around in the yard, wrestling with other dogs, retrieving balls, etc. So, that's a big thing. But we also know, and this science has been done again and again in humans, fitness equates to longevity. Right. Which one
0: of us doesn't want our dog to live longer? And to live a healthier life. This is the fountain of youth, people. Yeah, yeah, it it is. It's awesome. Okay, so now let's kind of shift focus and let's talk about Fit to be Tied because I think as a dog breeder, this is fascinating to me and I really have not heard anything about this before and so I am very excited to get some details on this. Okay, so actually, it all started with Fit to be Tied. So Gail Watkins, who is
1: the founder and CEO of Avidog, actually is the one who came to me and asked me to help her. So Avidog International is a group that's interested in breeding healthier dogs, healthy, stable,
0: long-lived puppies, okay, everything that's involved to do with that. Good dog listeners, remember, we just had a conversation with Dr. Gail Watkins just not too long ago. Right. And she recognized the importance of fitness
1: in dogs, in breeding dogs. Think about how important it is for the whole whelping process, that the whelping process is shorter, that the puppies are healthier and more stable. All of this, we know this in humans. Why can't we apply this in dogs? And so she came to me with that. And actually that's how we began by setting up a fitness program that would apply specific criteria for fitness to each of the stages of the breeding cycle, not only for bitches, but also for stud dogs. I mean, it's a hard thing to breed. It's a very yeah.
0: exhausting process. Anybody that's ever watched a natural breeding, it wears me out just looking at it. I know. And people <laughs> think it's just this easy thing that happens naturally.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely that. <not. laughs> People are always asking questions like, you know, I have a pregnant bitch. What should I be doing with her for exercise? What shouldn't I be doing? What's safe? What could injure puppies and all of those? And then after the puppies are born, in all those different stages of nursing and weaning, and then how soon can I exercise my bitch afterwards? So we've divided up the breeding cycle into those various stages and applied criteria. You can do this and you shouldn't do that at each one of those stages. And it's actually really very, very effective. We're tracking the data too, because we want to see whether this actually does, Where the science
0: shows. That's what I was just about to ask. How long have you guys been doing this? Five years. Okay. So you should be getting some decent data by now.
1: We do. It's mostly dependent on the breeders gathering the data themselves. Mm. And so, yes, we're hoping to put together those records and take a look at it. Subjectively, we are seeing much faster whelping periods, healthy puppies. Theoretically, and we know that the science suggests that there should be more puppies, that the puppies should be healthier, and that whelping times should be shorter. So we're just in the process of gathering those data, and we will publish them when we get them.
0: Very, very, very cool. So give us just a few samples. So say, for example, I've got this wire hair pointer over here with 13 puppies. She's exhausted. Just feeding them. (laughs) What can I be doing to exercise her right now? Well, when were the puppies born? They're very young, aren't they? They're three weeks yesterday.
1: Right. So in that first three weeks, there's not an awful lot that bitch is going to be doing. You know, she's going to be hanging out with the puppies, nursing them, tired, uh, getting over the, the well, 13 puppies. After that, at about three weeks, when the puppies start to be a lot more active and everything, Mm -hmm. there are things that you can set up for her that will cause her to exercise more. Even ways that you can set up that she can jump in and out of the whelping box and the amount, we give criteria for the amount of types of exercise, like for example, simple core exercises are good at that time to start to regain her previously felt physique. And then thinking about, of course, there's going to be a difference if she had had a C-section versus a natural whelping. And so you have to think about what are we going to do How long do we have to wait after the C-section before we do core exercises? But we do want to do them because we want to regain that strength. Sure. So there are criteria for all of those stages. And things that you shouldn't do, like, for example, when in pregnancy, can you let a bitch swim or maybe should she not swim? (laughs) And so we don't recommend swimming, for example, in the third trimester. Right. But previously, Lots of people are unsure about what their dogs can do during pregnancy in terms of exercise or not.
0: Right. Here's a curiosity question for you. I have bird dogs, pointing dogs, and I have always heard the myth that having the bitch go on point, you know, find a bird and point it, that there's some kind of like thing that goes in their head because our females are out working birds frequently pretty much up to the end. (laughs) And you're saying that- That that transfers to the puppies, yeah. You know, I don't think there's science on
1: that, but- I don't think so either, but- I actually believe it too, because it's neurological. Right. There's a lot of neurological things that are being established in puppies, especially during the third trimester. Right. Their brains are developing very, very quickly and expanding very, very quickly. And then the other thing is, of course, that the brain has more cells than it'll ever have in its whole lifetime late in pregnancy and early after whelping, and then the neurons start to die. Some of them die, the ones that aren't being used and the ones that aren't as important. So does something like that give information to the brain that
0: those are the important ones to keep? Right. I think probably it does,
1: although I don't think it's been
0: studied. No, I don't think it's been studied. It falls under the category of old wives' tales. So I was curious. Well, I had somebody who had a thought on that. Some of those old wives' tales, there's reasons for them. Yeah. Talk
1: to some of these old time people. They know stuff.
0: They do know stuff. And that's so many of my early breeding mentors were old, like old when I knew them, like founding members of the national club, old, you know? Right. And lots of good information in there. So, back to other things that we can do with our dogs when they are pregnant, after their pregnancy, and then to build them up if we plan to breed them again in the future. Right. So there's two
1: components. There's not only physical strength, which we're going to really target the core. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, we're going to target the rear because the rear gets less exercise than the front just by virtue of the fact that it basically carries 40% of the dog's weight all the time and the front holds 60. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So we're going to really focus on the core. We're going to secondarily focus on the rear. We're going to do a little bit with the front, but not as much. But then there's also the question of how much weight should they be carrying? Because we know that for example we know that women that are triathletes etc probably not a good time to think about getting pregnant because they're probably not going to be able to their cycles are different their whole endocrine system is different and this is of course science we know this in breeding dogs we want them to be in a stage where they do have some body fat and where they're actually in a gaining level of body condition when they're getting ready to ovulate etc and so the criteria that we might have or thinness for a performance dog does not apply to bitches or to stud dogs when they're getting ready to breed. And so there's differences. There's all these differences that apply to breeding stock, which nobody has ever really investigated. Although there is data to show it in other breeding animals, cattle and farm animals. We Horses. know that really well. Horses, etc.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just did a fascinating interview with Myra Savant-Harris here on the Good Dog Pod talking about the stud dog's role in natural breeding. And so we talked about that earlier. What are some of the things that we're going to do with our stud dogs to make them better able to stand up to the natural breeding process?
1: So three things come to mind that are very important. Number one, core strength. Mm -hmm. Number two, rear leg strength. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And number three, proprioception. Okay. So proprioception is the dog's understanding of where its body parts are in space okay it's just a fancy word for that and there are specific neurological pathways that can be strengthened for proprioception you know think about it you know stud dog needs to know exactly where his rear feet are
0: and where all of his other parts are
1: <laughs> yeah and how does he position himself so that he can get it done How does he use his front legs to grip and to hold himself in position? Mm -hmm. So proprioception is something that is oftentimes forgotten or not even thought of. Never would have thought of that as a concept, but you're absolutely right. The cool thing is, since there are specific neurological pathways for that, then we know we can make it better. We can make it better
0: neurologically by practice, just like any other kind of practice. And do you do things like cavalettis or what are you doing to get them to pay attention to where their feet are? Even better than Cavaletti's,
1: which a lot of people use. I think there's something much, much better. And that's just a simple ladder made of PVC, or you can use an extension ladder or wooden straight ladder. But here's why that's better than Cavaletti. Because Cavaletti's only help the dog know where to place their feet forward and backward, but not sideways. The ladder has the sides of it that also teaches a dog lateral understanding of foot placement. So here's the thing. What you can do is you can just place a ladder on the ground. The key is, everybody finds this very difficult, must do it extremely slowly so that the dog is thinking about foot placement. So you have the dog step through the ladder from one end to the other, one foot at a time, even holding each foot as long as a full second in between each rung. And once the dog can do that without ticking the sides or the rungs of the ladder, then you have... Him or her go forward through the ladder and then followed by backward. So as they go forward, they memorize the distances between the rungs. And as they go backward, they step their feet carefully back without touching the rungs. Once they can do that, then you have them go forward, uphill, backward, downhill, forward, downhill, backward, uphill, forward and backward, sideways on a hill where their uphill leg has to lift higher than their downhill leg. And then you can even place the ladder perpendicular to the direction you're looking in. You can have them put their front feet in the ladder and step sideways. You can have them put the, the rear feet in the ladder and step sideways. You can then put the ladder on hills and having them step sideways. So it's a simple, easy exercise. Fascinating. With lots of food rewards, you can drop the yeah. in the rungs, between the rungs. Dogs love it. But the key is to do it slowly
0: so they think about where they're placing their feet. Right. That is one of the coolest things, not even just the ladder. Like, I have heard that, but the idea of making them back up, which I think is fabulous, and using the ladder to get the lateral piece. Right. I think those two things are really, really clicking in my head going, okay, that makes sense about rare and fairness.
1: You know, think about a bitch with a bunch of puppies in a whelping box. They need the lateral aspect. They need to know they're not going to step on them sideways. Just as much as forward or backward, maybe
0: even more, you know? Maybe more. As I watch this one, try not to step on her puppies, and she's doing this balancing act. Okay, well, those are absolutely fabulous, and I know that you guys are now working with Good Dog. There's going to be these videos and programs available to Good Dog breeders. Is that my understanding? Yes. Excellent. Here's the thing. Good Dog is all about not only
1: linking up people who have dogs with people who want dogs. But then you don't just desert the puppy. The puppy is a living being and you want to be able to set them up for a lifetime of health. Mm -hmm. And so it really continues on into not only their first year of life, but if you can establish them in a program during their first year of life, then that can be continued on and it feeds into longevity and health.
0: Absolutely. And we talk about it on Pure Dog Talk, the podcast that I do separate from Good Dog, we talk about it as 24-7 tech support, that that puppy goes home with 24-7 tech support. You have a problem? Please don't get on the internet and ask a random stranger. Please just call me Yeah, because I will help you. And I think that that's one of the great things that Good Dog is doing is trying to provide those resources both to the breeders and to the buyers and make them super accessible.
1: And it's one of the differentiating factors of going to a breeder. It really is.
0: Entirely, without any question at all, because you don't have to ask Dr. Google. You have my phone number. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I really, really appreciate your time. I am super excited to follow up on this. As a good dog breeder, I am going to be checking out all the ladder walking that I need to do.
1: It's been great talking to you. I'm very excited about your litter of 13. 13. Puppies. I know. That I'm, is an adventure you're going to
0: have. I've kept 13 puppies alive for three weeks, so we shall see. I am very, 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 very hopeful we can get through this unscathed, all of us. So, <laughs> Well, good luck on that and enjoy the process. It is the best thing in the world. It is. I've been breeding dogs for 40 years, and there is still nothing that I would rather do than sit with a lap full of puppies
1: cool. That's
0: great. Thank you very much, Chris. We'll talk soon.
1: Great talking to you.